Hello, everybody. Hi. 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 Good to see y'all. My name's Steve. I'm happy that you guys are here. Go ahead and stand right now. We're going to worship God, allowing us to be part of his family. Excited about that? Children of God, children of love, all that good stuff's going to be talked about today. Let's sing to him. Let me cry and lie. 
can have a very quick seat. My name is Jordan, and we are so glad that you guys have chosen to join us here at Capital City this morning. Guys, it is such an awesome time to be a part of this place, because God, I mean, God is doing some crazy things here. It is really fantastic. We are seeing new faces every single week that we've never seen before. We're seeing old faces we haven't seen in a long time as we're hopefully moving out of the pandemic craziness once and for all. So like it is so exciting to be here. We're so glad that you guys are here. But I want to call your attention to something that we've kind of been harping on for the last few weeks, last, last few months, really. I see a lot of you guys are doing it. Uh, but the name tags. So this is a little bit different than most churches do. As you're walking in, you probably see a lot of, a lot of folks have those on. Why are we doing that? Well, as we're getting so many new people into the fold and old people that we may not remember, there is nothing better than being able to look somebody in the eye, shake their hand, and say their name, right? But conversely, there's also nothing more awkward than having met someone a couple of weeks ago and them greeting you with your name and you being like, yeah, great to see you again, buddy. So that's what we're trying to avoid, all right? That's why we do this. So if you are new to Capital City, um, after the service, hit the Welcome Center, and we'll get your info uh, really quick, get you in the system. We don't need a bunch of personal info. We just want to know your name. Uh, and then when you come, you can hit one of the stations next week, uh, next time you're here, print out your name tag, wear it, and this allows us to greet each other to make sure that everybody feels that they belong. That's what we want here. We want to know you, you do belong here, and we want you to know that. Uh, the old book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale, Dale Carnegie, one of the lines in there, he said, a man's name is to him the sweetest word in any language. And I imagine that applies to women too. There is nothing better than somebody greeting you with your name. So give that gift to other people and let them give it to you. Um, I see that a lot of you guys are wearing them, so that's awesome. Thank you so much. And as we continue to welcome people into this fold, uh, we just want to create that environment. So thank you for doing that. Keep it up. Um, and if you haven't yet, go ahead and sign up and do that next week. Finally, uh, or next, I should say, Easter is just around the bend, three weeks from now, I think. April 17th, I believe. What is the deal with Easter, by the way? Like, what is the actual rule for when Easter falls? I feel like it could be like the beginning of March, some years like the end of June. Does anybody actually know the rule for when Easter is? Anybody, like, show of hands, anybody know what the rule is? Like, nobody in here? Okay, I didn't either. Uh, I said this in the first service and somebody texted me. This is the actual apparent, apparent definition. The simple standard definition of Easter is that it is the first Sunday after the full moon that occurs on or after the spring equinox. If the full moon falls on a Sunday, then Easter is the next Sunday. Did you know that? Hmm? He called it the simple, I'm not gonna say that's a simple definition, but it may be the standard crazy. Anyway, regardless of all that gobbledygook, Easter is three weeks from today. And Easter at Capital City is a really big deal. We've got a bunch of stuff we want to make you aware of. We're going to have an awesome Good Friday service. We've got some special services on Sunday. We've got our extravaganza on Saturday. And we want, this is an all hands on deck, we want everybody involved. So to get connected on a deeper level, you can, uh, if you're technologically inclined, unlike me, you can scan that QR code, learn more, or you can go to capcity.info slash Easter. We have so much going on that week. We want you guys involved. And uh, one thing in particular we want to emphasize is these nudges. You know, every month, we're trying to nudge people toward Capital City, toward Jesus. We want to do 12,000 nudges throughout the year. That's 1,000 a month. And we've got more than 1,000 people who uh, regularly attend Capital City, usually not all on one weekend. But this, this only requires one nudge for one person per month. So every month, do something 
to nudge somebody toward Christ. Last week it was the basketballs. We were supposed to take those out, or last, this month, March, was the basketballs. We were supposed to take those out, buy somebody's coffee or dinner or something, nudge them toward Jesus. We still got a few more days to use those. We got a few more basketballs. But the month of April, we're, our nudge is going to be invite somebody here for Easter. People extremely receptive to the gospel on Easter, so we want to take advantage of this. You have some cards on your seats. Uh, take those with you. Just make sure to invite somebody. Invite a whole family. Let's fill this place up. I want to have it overflowing. If we got to go into the other sanctuary, the party shed, I don't care. Let's get as many people as we can here in three weeks. Got it? Uh, also, three weeks from tomorrow, Saturday before Easter, we're going to have that Easter egg extravaganza I was talking about. That is a uh, ginormous Easter egg hunt that we host here on the campus. Um, and we need lots of help for that, okay? Last year, last several years, we've had hundreds of kids and their families. We want to get as many of those people here back again as we can, nudge them in that way. But we need lots and lots of candy, okay? They've already started stuffing Easter eggs here at Capital City, we got thousands more to do. So we need from you, the way you can help is over the next couple weeks, if you've got candy at home or you can procure some from the grocery store, we need individually wrapped candy, as many pieces as we can, uh, size to fit in an Easter egg, okay? So this excludes peeps. We have no use for peeps. The world has no use for peeps. We did this in the first service just out of curiosity. I want to poll how many of you guys actually enjoy consuming peeps? as a part of your Easter celebration. Ah, oh, demented, sorry souls. How many of you believe that peeps are terrible marshmallows that shouldn't exist? Yes, all right. That reassures me quite a bit. You other folks, I don't know what your problem is. Regardless, you can have all the peeps you want. Uh, we do need that candy for Easter. Let's not miss this opportunity, okay? This is a huge one. We got three weeks to make it happen. Let's make it happen and reach our potential on that. Now guys, I gotta, I gotta be real with you. In regard to today's service, um, I got I to gotta introduce you to our topic today, okay? And I drew, drew the short straw on this. We're going to be talking about sex. It's just the reality. Uh, and as you know, I'm not employed here, so I think that's the reason they have me up here introducing this topic. As Steve and I discussed how we were going to introduce the topic, he was kind of advising me. He said, you know, I, I would stay away from any double entendres, anything like that. Like, our congregation's really too mature for that. They're not going to connect with that, and I get it. So I said, what I'm hearing you say is that we need to try to get them in the mood to talk about sex, right? He said, yeah, but I wouldn't say it exactly that way. And I said, okay, all right, all right. Uh, well, then, you know, answered me this, how long do we have to talk to him about this? Because if we go too, too long, then, you know, we're going to bore him, potentially. But if we're too fast, then it could be over too quickly. I'm sorry, that's, that's as far as I'm going to go. That's probably over the line. My pastor's here. That's, that's all I have on that topic, okay? My apologies. But in all seriousness, on this topic of sex, what is it about sex that can have us in one minute cackling like little schoolboys, but on the other minute crying like babies because so many of us have experienced pain or trauma in this regard? What is it? I mean, is sex just biological as the world would have us? Is that it? I think, it, I think the reality is we all know there is a lot more to us and therefore a lot more to sex than just biology, right? It's emotional, it's spiritual, it's psychological, it's all those things. And what that really points to, those are fingerprints of God. We as humans approach sex in a way totally different than all, all animals, all other creation. And that is evidence for how we are made, how we are different. It, it, it's evidence about who we are as beings. 
And we're going to kind of unpack that today. Our senior minister, Doc Pattison, will here in just a few minutes. Uh, but I want you to kind of ponder on that. And in the meantime, I'm going to ask you to stand back up. And we're going to worship the God who created sex.
are, your children, come here today to be able to tell you where our hearts are, to be able to praise you for what you have done and allowing us to be a part of this family, to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be a light to this world so that when they see that there is hope outside of themselves and hope outside of the, the difficulties that they face, help us to be ready to give an answer, be ready to give our hearts and to be an example. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. You guys want to have a seat for a second? I'm going to just kind of get ready for our communion time today. And if this is the, your first time here, we do things that may be a little bit different from other churches, or maybe you have no idea what communion is all, at all. But what we want to do is we want to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. As the forerunner, as the trailblazer, the one who walked this earth and lived a perfect life, he was able to do something that we could not. And in spite of that perfect life, he died on a cross for us, and he created this... And it, very strange, mysterious uh, situation where what we couldn't do, he was able to do. Despite the fact that he was sinless, he died on this cross for our sins. And we'd love to talk with you more about that later on after the service or any other time. But this is why we come together, to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. When we sing these songs, we listen to his word. It's because of that act on a cross that brings us into this room today. So in a few moments, you get a chance to stand up and you go back to the, uh, the different tables that are around this room, and you'll see some bread and some juice that's there. These things are to celebrate and to remember, again, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. These two emblems are a way for us to remember, and that's what we want to do every time that we're together, to remember that there is a purpose outside of ourselves, and there's an example outside of ourselves, this example of sacrificial love is why we are here as a family right now. If this place is your home and you want to give an offering, there's black boxes that are each of the stations as well. Please do that with the most cheerful heart that you have. You never have to give. This is something that you do as, out of worship for what God has done. To tell him how great he is, you give. And maybe you have something outside of your offering, something a little extra that you want to give to the generous buckets. This goes to people in our community who are in need. So if you would, go ahead and stand back again. I've gotten a little bit of that rest. Let's go to the tables, this family meal together.
Let's pray together. Father, we're honored to have been invited into your presence. We know you're here. And I pray that if you nudge us this morning, that we will be responsive. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for being here. Appreciate that a lot for those connecting online. That is so cool. And we're doing this series on the evidences for God, right? But I hope you can understand, I've said this before, that I cannot prove to you that there's a God and you can't prove to me that there's not. But we believe there's a way more evidence for God than against Him. Not even close. In fact, I kind of think it takes too much faith to be an atheist. Now, we've tackled a whole lot of big ideas in this series, ideas like these. What makes more sense that this universe simply created itself out of nothing, kind of like magic on steroids, or that there has to be some kind of an eternal, transcendent, omnipotent God, creator who transcends creation, who got this whole thing started? Or evidence for, from design, it's just stunning. I mean, the odds against this universe simply shaping itself into the way that it is without a designer, the idea that you can go from dirt to you without a tinkerer, you either believe in God or you believe in magic. We talked about evil. I mean, some people say, how can you believe in a, a God since there's so much evil in the world? The bigger question is this, how can you call anything evil unless there really is a God? We talked about God and the value of life, God and the meaning of life. Without God, you don't matter, and your life doesn't matter. And the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what we call these fingerprints of God and the kind of love that you hunger for you can't explain without God. The sense that we humans have always had that physical death is probably not the end, this sense of eternity that we share, it's hard to explain that without God. And today's going to be a weird one. In fact, if you're looking for a reason to push God away, you're probably going to find it in what we're going to say today. Because we're going to talk about sexuality as a fingerprint of God. Go figure. And some of you guys are probably going to be like, well, here it is. Listen to the ramblings of an old prude talking about a prudish old God. Right? And others of you might be, kind of be like, well, these aren't just the ramblings of an old prude. This almost sounds like hate speech. These are the kind of ideas that are hurting people, holding people back. And then there might be a few of you guys who are kind of like, finally, we get to talk about sex in church, and maybe this time I can stay awake. Right? Seriously, what I'm going to talk about this morning may offend, may even hurt some of you, and for that I'm sorry. But I'm going to try to talk about sex from God's perspective. And I know that sometimes we simply don't agree with God, the God revealed to us in and through Jesus. And sometimes we do agree with Him, we just don't want to do it His way. Anyway, bottom line, I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you're living right now, God loves you madly right now and the only thing he wants for your life is to make it better both for now and for forever and when you stop to think about it 
He's probably a whole lot smarter than we are. So maybe we need to listen in. You ready? Here goes. Fundamentally, guys, there are two paths. Either there is a God or there's not, right? There's either theism or atheism. And either Jesus was the Son of God, God revealing himself to us, or he was the deluded nutcase, a bald-faced liar, the greatest con man of all time. So, there's either a God or there's not, and depending on which path you opt for, there's going to be two different, fundamentally different ways of looking at human beings, at who you are. Either we're simply just animals, maybe slightly more evolved than some of the other animals in this world, or we are special creatures created in some way in the image of God. We're different. And if that's so, love is different for us, death is different for us, sex is different for us. So what do you think? God, no God. We're just animals, or we're special creatures created in the image of God. And, depending on which path you choose, believe it or not, there are two Gospels. Two Gospels. Those who believe in the God revealed in and through Jesus believe in one Gospel. Good news that we believe is going to make your life way better. And those who do not believe in God have their own Gospel, their own path to the very best life possible. And these two Gospels are fundamentally incompatible. You cannot have it both ways. Our gospel, gospel of Jesus followers says, if you want life to the fullest, you want life to the fullest for now and for forever, you've got to wrap your life around Jesus. In fact, he died to set you free from the kind of nonsense that's killing you, like sin and our obsession with self. You were created to be a child of God. You're only going to discover fullness, dignity, peace, purpose, joy when you live for him first, for others second, and for self Third, their gospel, well, they want the same stuff we do. They want a great life. They want dignity, peace, purpose, joy. But they're going to tell you if you want life to the fullest, it's about you. You have to be true, not to God, but you've got to be true to yourself. It's about what you like, what you believe, and what you want to do. So it's either it's all about God or it's all about me. It's either I need to let God be God or who made him God. It's about what I believe, he wants me to believe, or what I feel, what I want. Now, which path you choose is going to determine how you look about sex. Is there a God or not? Are you just an animal? You know, just like a rat is a pig, is a dog is a boy? Or are we different? Are we unique creatures created in the image of God? If there really is a God, does he get to assign things like gender? Does he get to define the purposes of things like gender? Or do we get to choose our own? And does God get to dictate the parameters for and the purposes of sex? Or do we get to pick our own parameters for and purposes of sex? Is there a God or not? If there is a God, are you willing to let him be 
God or not. You see, it would seem at first blush that the God revealed to us in and through Jesus created a special creature in his image. This male and this female who were designed to be able to join together in a covenant relationship till death do they part. And it would seem like a whole bunch of us hate that. This whole idea of a binary world, they tell us, is not just wrong, it's even evil, we're told. Their good news is, their good gospel is, you get to choose your own authentic self. And you get to choose your own right and wrong. Which means you get to choose whatever meaning sex is going to have for you. That can't be imposed on you by any other person. It can't be imposed on you by God, if there is one. And, for those who choose that path, if you disagree with me, you need to be silenced. You're a danger. In fact, you might even be evil. Now, a couple of months ago, we tackled this question, can you be moral without God? Because it's clear that everybody has some kind of a moral compass, most everybody anyway. Where did that moral compass come from? Who gets to choose what is right and wrong for me? And here's what's weird. We fiercely protect our right to do what is right in our own eyes, and at the same time, we kind of hate it when others dare to do what is right in their eyes. Go figure. When they don't see things the same way we do. Kind of big hypocrites, aren't we? You don't feel like I do. You don't think like I do. What's wrong with you? You're either stupid or evil. See, I think most atheists are incredible hypocrites. I know we Jesus followers are really, really good at hypocrisy. We're great at it. We're terrible hypocrites. At least we admit it. You see, I think most atheists live out this massive contradiction and they're clueless. They don't know that they're doing it. Here it is. Without God, there are no moral rules, right? Without God, there are no moral laws that apply to every man, woman, and child everywhere for all of time. Fyodor Dostoevsky put it like this. If there's no God, everything is permitted, even sexually. No rules. Back in the book of Judges, everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. The result is chaos. It's not that they're out there doing what's wrong, just that everybody got to pick their own right and wrong. And if what you think is right clashes with what I think is right, we're going to have issues. And so there's chaos. There are some atheists who get it. If there's no God, there are no rules, right? Nietzsche said, why would you reject the God of the Bible and still hang on to his rules? If there's no God, do what you want. Who cares? If there's no God, use people if you want. Abuse people if you want. Diss people if you want. Survival of the fittest, right? Life is short. Play hard. Cruelty is just simply a part of nature. Look around, guys. Ideas like pity, compassion, mercy... Ideas like guilt, shame, remorse. If there's no God, that stuff's stupid. And here's the hypocrisy. If we get to pick our own right and wrong, if we all get to do whatever's right in our own eyes, if no one gets to be the boss of me, 
Why do we get so ticked, offended, and outraged when someone doesn't agree with us? I mean, they should be able to pick their own right and wrong, right? If moral values are just personal and subjective. So, why would a teacher be outraged when a student cheats on a test? Just because it's wrong to the teacher doesn't mean it has to be wrong to the student, right? Or why would a woman be outraged when some guy makes what she considers inappropriate advances in the office? Just because it's wrong to her doesn't mean it has to be wrong to him, does it, if there is no God? Why would a husband or a wife be shocked or enraged when their spouse follows his heart and sleeps with another? Just because it's wrong for her doesn't mean it's not right for him, if there is no God. Why would we be horrified when some pedophile is grooming our kids if there is no God? Just because we think it's evil doesn't mean he has to agree, does it? See, I can understand outrage if there is a God, and there is. I can under, understand that kind of outrage if we were created in the image of God, and we were. And if he gets to determine what's right and wrong, and he does. But where does the outrage come from if there's no God and everybody gets to do what's right in their own eyes and follow their own hearts? Where does the pain and the brokenness and the outrage come from if it's just sex? But it's there. Do you know why? Because it's a fingerprint of God. It's a fingerprint of our God. A few years ago, a couple of profs published a book called The Natural History of Rape, Biological Bases for Sexual Coercion. Biologically speaking, they said rape is not a pathology. It simply emerged as a strategy to maximize the reproductive drive. Huh. You may find it detestable, but it's just a product of our evolutionary past. These guys weren't defending rape. They were just saying it's a nature thing. And guys, if there is no God, and everyone gets to make their own rules, and if there's nothing sacred about a woman, a unique creature bearing the image of God, then our disgust and outrage over rape is kind of hard to explain, isn't it? But if it is a fingerprint of God, hmm. Alfred Kinsey was the most prominent sexologist of the last generation. And he had absolutely no place for God. And because of that, he figured as animals, as mammals, we should be able to enjoy sex with any other mammal of our choosing. Whether that sexual partner is our mother, our uncle, our sister, our child, someone else's child, or our dog. And if there's no God, you get your own right and wrong, right? And your right and wrong doesn't have to agree with mine. So where does our moral outrage come from? Even the moral outrage of those who don't believe in God, because they've got it too, boatloads of it. Even those who say it's just sex feel that outrage, because it's a fingerprint of God. Tell that to a girl or a wife who discovers that her guy has been cheating on her. Just say it's just sex, right? Just because it feels wrong for you doesn't mean it's wrong for him. He has to be authentic and follow his heart, doesn't he? 
if there is no God. Tell that to a woman in some office who's just endured another one of those unwanted sexual advances. Just animals, right? Just because it feels wrong to you doesn't make it wrong for him, does it? Where does the Me Too movement get its moral outrage if there is no God? But there is. Tell that to a husband who leaves his wife and his kids and his church and moves in on his gay lover. After all, it would be wrong for him to deny his authentic self, right? No matter who it hurts, if there's no God. After all, you've got to celebrate my sexual choices, don't you? Feels right to me. And hypocritically, if it feels right to me, you're wrong if you think it's wrong to you. And the outcome, how does it work, guys? One of the ways you test a system is whether or not it works. What's the outcome of our hookup culture, a culture in which the whole idea of promiscuity is being mocked? October 2017, New York Times printed an article in which they said there, at any given time there are 110 million sexually transmitted infections in the United States. That's an epidemic, isn't it? In fact, I'd probably call that a pandemic. What do you expect when you push God away? According to a 2018 article, Psychology Today, a couple of researchers did a survey of a certain constituency regarding the use of porn. Most of those that they surveyed were between 18 and 35. They found that 73% of the women and 98% of the guys reported using internet porn in the last six months. 26% of the women and 80% of the guys in the last week. How'd it work? There was a decrease in sexual satisfaction, a decrease in intimacy, and an increase in sexual dysfunction. It's just sex doesn't work, guys. Track the stats on the psychological and physical effects of rape and sexual abuse and sex trafficking and sexual addictions. You discover it's not just sex. Did you know that sexually active teenage girls are three times more likely to be depressed and almost three times more likely to attempt suicide? Some would say that that's because of the guilt that we Jesus followers try to heap on our kids. But maybe it goes way deeper than that. I'm not trying to be an old prude, guys. I just think maybe God's way is better. Maybe he's smarter than we are. So let's talk about God's option, the theistic option, the theistic gospel. And I know for some guys, this probably is going to sound a bit old-fashioned and prudish. So be it. For some, it may even be offensive. I don't mean it to be so. I actually believe that if there really is a God, that his way of doing life is probably going to be smarter than ours. So... If you were actually to open your Bible and read the first chapter that you come to, you're going to find that God created this binary world. Light and dark, night and day, land and sea, earth and heavens, animals and humans, males and females, creatures and creator. And light is not dark and night is not day and humans are not just animals and humans are not God. Male is not female. You buy that? Is that a fair reading of Genesis chapter 1? You read it. 
And here are a couple of things you notice. Number one, these binaries are both complementary and they're good. They're complementary and they're good. The land and the sea are different, but they're complementary and good. Nights and days are different. They're complementary and good. Humans and animals are different. They're both good. Males and females are different. They're complementary and they're good. In fact, for us humans, both kinds of us, both males and females, we actually bear the very image of God. You are special, God says. We're different, but we complement each other. That's complement with an E, not with an I. We work together. We make each other better. We need each other. The male in the Genesis story is completed when the female is created as his partner. That's one thing you notice. The other thing you notice is this. Sex is God's idea. God's no prude. In fact, I love the way that God introduces the female to the male. He presents her stark naked. How cool is that? It's no wonder in the Hebrew, Adam says something like, holy cow, God, you did good. <laughs> That's my paraphrase. But in reality, the Hebrew is not too far away from that. And God created us in a way that the whole process of procreation is fun. It's supposed to be fun. God didn't have to do it that way. He could have given us a way to procreate without it being so fun. But God is no prude. But some push back and say, well, that's Old Covenant, right? And we're not under the Old Testament. We're under the New Testament. We're under Jesus. I mean, the covenant established through Him, right? Well... But Jesus kind of puts his imprimatur on at least that part of the Old Covenant. In fact, he quotes part of it and unpacks it. In the Gospel of Matthew, some religious teachers come up to Jesus and they try to trap him with a trick question. You know, it's one of those gotcha questions that our politicians and press guys try to come up with today. They said, Jesus, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And there are reasons in that world that would have been a trap. Bottom line, guys, if there's no God, why not? Just because divorce seems wrong to you doesn't mean it's wrong for me, does it? If there's no God, who made you God? And Jesus said, have you read the scriptures? Have you read your Bible, dudes? Hasn't God already weighed in on this? Scriptures say that from the beginning, God made us male and female. He made us binary. And he said, that actually explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. They're no longer two, but one. So don't you dare split apart what God has joined. Now, I bet you've heard that in some weddings. And Jesus does go on to say that God does permit some divorce, divorce because sometimes one partner refuses to give to the other the loyalty and the love that they deserve as an image of God-bearer. But, he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else sins unless that spouse has been unfaithful. You be loyal, he says. So, here's God's plan for his binary image of God-bearers. Man leaves his father and his mother. Woman leaves her father and her mother. And they're joined together. They cleave that's the old word that we used. They become one flesh, sexually and in every other way. 
I mean, the word for cleaving is a powerful one. It's not just physical, but it's emotional, economic, social. It means we're in this thing together now, for better, for worse, for richer, for, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Till when? Till death. It means I belong exclusively to you right now, permanently. Everything I've got is yours. I'm yours. That was God's plan, guys. A covenant of marriage, a covenant that in some ways mirrors our covenant with God. No matter what your feelings say, there's no cheating in this thing. It's a promise of love and loyalty and faithfulness. Our stories from here on out are going to be woven together. What role does sex play for us image of God bearers? Sex is a cleaving apparatus within that covenant relationship. Man leaves his parents, woman leaves her parents, they cleave sexually, emotionally, economically, socially. God's a fan of sex, guys. He invented it. And he also created the environment where it does its work. It's God-designed work. Because we're not just animals. You were created in the image of God. And in the Christian gospel, the healthiest, most meaningful, most satisfying, most pleasurable sexual experiences take place between a man and a woman in covenant, giving themselves to each other in every other way as well in a God-honoring marriage. God is no prude, and he knows what he's doing. And this might surprise a lot of folks. Here it is, guys. You are your most authentic self. You are your most authentic self when you do life with God, for God, God's way. That's the real you. Your most authentic self is when you don't live for self. You live for God. When you live for you, you live for little. When you live for God, you live for something grand. And so Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to forget yourself. You've got to take up your cross every single day and you've got to follow me. Because if you want to save your own life, if you want life to the fullest, if you want to save life itself, you're going to have to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. Listen, guys, you will never be what God created you to be until you let God be your God. You believe that? Bottom line, guys, we're just not very good at playing God. It's just sex, right? I have a right to do whatever's right in my own eyes, right? And bottom line, guys, whenever we try to live that out, we do not flourish. We wither. I mean, look around and you just tell me how it's working. John sent a link to me last week in a text with some stats. 75% of us are using porn. Do you think that is happening because our relationships are flourishing? Do you think it's helping our relationships flourish? 50% of our kids are born out of wedlock. Do you think they are flourishing statistically? 20% of our ladies are victims of some kind of sexual assault. Surely nobody would call that flourishing, would they? One million abortions a year from unwanted pregnancies. I guess there are those who would argue that killing the kids helped mom and dad flourish. Adultery, divorce, abandonment, abuse, trafficking, exploitation. And the God who loves us, who made us in his very image, weeps. It wasn't his plan. See, God's not an old prude. He loves his kids. 
He wants the very, very best for his kids like all great parents do. And bottom line, he is infinitely smarter and infinitely wiser and infinitely better than we are. You believe that? He's God, guys. And when we marginalize him and do things our way because we think we're smarter than God, inevitably his kids get hurt. And inevitably we wither. Because it's not just sex. And you sense it. You get it. It's not just sex. We say it's just sex, but then we're outraged when a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife has just sex with somebody else. You know it's not just sex. But we're just animals, right? Just because it's wrong for you doesn't mean it's wrong for me. And yet we still get outraged when some guy hits on a girl without getting her permission. How do you explain that if there's no God? If there is a God, it makes perfect sense. You have to follow your heart, right? And yet every one of us still searches for some mythical soulmate who's never, ever, ever going to follow his heart to someone else. Why is that desire so deep inside of us? It's a fingerprint of God, guys. See, you sense it. You feel it. There's something more. You understand that it's not just sex. I mean, that sense that is in you that you should be treated with respect. The sense that is in you that you should treat somebody else with, res with respect, never disrespect. That's a fingerprint of God, guys. It makes no sense without God. The hunger that you have for someone who's going to stay faithful and loving for better, for worse, till death do you part is a fingerprint of God. Their gospel is wrapped around self, and it just doesn't work. It is not going to lead to the abundant life and the dignity and the peace and the purpose and the joy that we're all looking for. Our gospel, the gospel of Jesus, leads to that abundant life, that dignity, that peace and that purpose and that joy that we are all looking for. Doing life with God, for God, God's way, following Jesus, works, guys. Now, I know some of the stuff we've been talking about can offend a lot of people, maybe some of you. I know it can hurt some of you, and I hate that. I really do. And some people may be pushing back a little, saying, well, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. If there is a God, it's too late for me now. He's got to despise me now. I've blown it. And you've got to hear this. Guys, I don't care where you've been. What God cares about is where you're going. He still loves you right now just as you are, and His grace is way bigger than any sin you've ever committed. You cannot change your past, but God can forgive it. And in Christ, He will do that. And you can still do life with God, for God, God's way, for now and for forever. Do you believe that? That's what the cross was all about. And some of you guys are like, but I'm in so deep and I've tried to straighten up and it's too hard. Listen, guys, we're in this thing together. Our job is to drag each other to heaven. We want to try to do that with you. If you want to talk with one of us, just please grab us and let's chat. We've got a great program here on Tuesday nights. We call it Celebrate Recovery. And I don't care what kind of a sin that you've got that's got deep hooks inside of you. They can help you find freedom.
Give it a shot. If God's nudging you guys, don't push back. It's never wise to push back against God. He's good and he's smart and he wants you. Are you willing to bend your knees and let him be your God? Let's pray together. Father, for Jesus, we give you thanks. Give us the wisdom and the courage to be people of God. Help us to understand that what you've asked from us is to make our lives way better. Give us the wisdom to understand that and the courage to follow that. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Guys, if any of you want to talk a little bit, I'm going to hang on up here after the service is over. You can come and talk. There's a prayer room back there with an elder praying for you right now. Slip back there and talk to somebody or just give me a call or a text during the week and I'll be glad to chat with you. Right now, let's stand and let's give honor to our God.
that is here, every workplace, every neighborhood. Father, we speak Jesus to this place. God, we want to be a light in this very, very, very dark world. We give you everything that we have, heart, mind, soul, and body. so glad that you chose to be in this place. Go wear that name out in this world, okay? See you next week.